Let's just bow our hearts, shall we, as we come before God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that it's a day when we've been reminded of the need for dedication. Uh, Lord, not only should we dedicate our children to you, but Lord, we should dedicate our entire lives to you. Uh, Father, as we turn to your word now, we pray you speak to us. Lord, stir our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, remind us again of that great cost that you paid for us. uh, The way that, Lord, that you've called us to let our lives be a living sacrifice. Lord, that we should give up this world of treasures, the pleasures, the things that once we held dear. The Lord, we should now count those things as just rubbish compared to the excellency, the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. And so, Lord, as we study your word this morning, just speak to us, we pray. Stir our hearts that we would grow in knowledge and grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as a fellowship, we've been journeying through First um, Timothy and then on into Second Timothy. Uh, and we're kind of partway through chapter 2 of Second Timothy. Uh, you know, very often when we have a, a dedication service, we do intend to do a, a different study, something that's not um, necessarily in our usual kind of journey through the Bible, um, something that's more topical. But uh, in a sense, this portion of scripture that we're going to look at this morning from Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2 really is so apt because it really speaks of dedication. Uh, of committing our lives, our walk to the Lord in every possible way. So we're going to just carry on with our journey and we'll just see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. In, in chapter 2, Paul really just, just starts off making it really clear to Timothy, who, has gone, who had gone through this pastor of the church in Ephesus, he'd gone through some really challenging different times. I mean, Paul speaks of the tears that Timothy had shed. You know, that tells us that you know, that role of being a pastor wasn't always easy. Anybody who is a pastor will tell you it's not always easy. And clearly Timothy had got to the point of, at times, thinking, I can't do this anymore. Uh, at the AGM a few weeks ago, uh, I shared with you as a fellowship that uh, last year, some point, I can't remember the exact time or date, I just got to that moment. I was just thinking, I can't do this. And I prayed, oh, Lord, just send people to help. And at the AGM, we were sharing how God has miraculously, to, to, in my eyes, brought people along. Um, that have just stepped in and filled different roles and have helped in so many ways. You know, and it, it's such a blessing to see what the Lord is doing in this fellowship, seeing the way the Lord is raising ministries up or raising people up. Uh, we have different people now with the, the, the ability and the gifting to teach, um, not just on a Sunday morning, but the other meetings that we're having. You know, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, and just seeing other people that are helping in various ways and wanting to serve. And it's not out of a sense of duty or compulsion, but it's just the Lord is working and moving. And it's such a blessing. Um, you know, and, and we see that struggle that Timothy goes through. And Paul says at the beginning of chapter 2, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that is the the secret to Christian life. We have to learn to be strong in the grace. We'll never be strong in our own ability. We'll never be strong in our own wisdom. We'll never get to the point that we've figured it all out. But if we learn to rely on the grace of God, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God can continually surprise us with the energy that we find, with the, the wisdom that suddenly we find that we didn't know we had. With the strength to endure and carry on. You know, we were talking 
a little bit of our baptism service yesterday about the way that when we become a Christian, the Lord places his Holy Spirit within us. He gives us something we never had before. And throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the way. In fact, through the Old Testament, the same message is there because you go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, probably for me, one of my favorite Psalms, um, because it just speaks of the journey that we're on. And the, the, the writer, I'm pretty sure it's David, you know, goes up, he goes down, there's some moments that are great, there's some moments that he's struggling. But he starts off, blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, that seek him with a whole heart. There's conditions to those blessings. You know, the, the Bible is full of these promises that we can live a blessed life. But there's conditions. You know, again, blessed are those that walk in the way. You have to walk in the way to receive that blessing. If you want to be undefiled, live undefiled, then there'll be blessings that will come along with that. And we'll talk about these things in a minute as we we pick up in Timothy. But it's the grace of God. It's always the grace of God. And one of the hardest things for us is learning to stop striving, stop trying to be good, trying to get it right. You know, for many years as a Christian, I, I thought it was a lot about my effort. The more I did, the more I put in. But it's not. That doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't reward you and bless you when you serve and things. But that, that's not what makes you righteous. That's not what gives you any standing before God. The only thing that gives you standing before God is the blood of Christ. I was talking... To somebody who, for the sake of this morning, and this is recorded, will remain nameless, but um, about some friends who had a real issue with the fact that on a Sunday, um, this person mowed their lawn. Because Sunday's the Lord's Day and we're not allowed to work. But you know, I mow my lawn sometimes on a Sunday. To me, that's not work. You know, I, I like getting out and getting into the creation that God has given us. You know, to me, work is getting up early, getting on a train, going to London. But to go out and cut the grass, you know, that's just an opportunity to see the wonderful creation that God's got. I love it. I find it very therapeutic. I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't, I used to spend more time gardening than I do now. But, you know, even if there was a right or wrong issue there, by not cutting the lawn, that doesn't make me right with God. That doesn't make me more righteous. It doesn't make me better as a Christian. It doesn't give me some kind of standing with God that otherwise I wouldn't have had. You know, it, it, it's a legalistic spin on the fact that actually if we do certain things, then we're right. No, no. It's all about the blood of Christ. It's all about what he's done. Now, God has told us very clearly in his word that we are to rest one day out of seven. It's good for us to do so. But the whole point of the Sabbath, the whole issue there, is ultimately pointing to the picture that we labor, that we toil, we struggle until we find Christ, and then we find our rest in him. The writer to the Hebrews, again, I think Paul just makes it very clear that that rest, that Sabbath rest is in Jesus. You know, every day now for a believer is a Sabbath. It's a day that's set apart to God every day. Because we are now entered into that rest. 
We should have ceased from our labours as God has ceased from his labour. The work has all been done. There's nothing you can add to that. Again, the grace of God. So we've come as far as verse 22 of 2 Timothy. In the the preceding verses, Paul has given Timothy some examples. First of all, he speaks of you know being a, like a soldier in an army. Verse three says, "Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ." And he warns about getting entangled with the things of this world. You know, it's an apt metaphor. We are in a battle. We are like soldiers. You know, and whether you are, it, it, well, whatever ministry the Lord has given you. You know, it will be like a battle at times, and we need to be as if we were soldiers, serving our commander-in-chief. Paul then goes on and gives the analogy of someone who is an athlete. I think a rather apt kind of picture of a pastor. I said this last time. But again, the fact that there's rules to the race that we live, we have to keep to those rules, but also that you have to keep going. You don't win the race if you kind of stop. And then the last one, again, is what that of a, a husbandman or somebody taking care of the ground, a farm or so on, who typically is the first one to take or to be a partaker of the fruits of the, the labor. You know, and that's so true of, of those that minister. You know, however much time you put into your ministry, God will give you back more. God will give you so much more than you could ever give to him. You know, and it's such a privilege. Anybody that has the opportunity to teach the Bible in any capacity, it's incredible how the Lord teaches you so much more than you could ever give out. But then we come to this verse. Verse 22 of 2 Timothy 2. It says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Almost kind of seems a simple statement. Just keep away from, from lust and so on and just, just go for it. Just serve the Lord. But there's, there's more to this verse. See, back in verse 19, Paul had stated that the Lord knows those that are His. You've been called. You, you've been called to be a disciple. We were talking about this again at the baptism yesterday. And then Paul follows it up by saying, so effectively, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows those who are His. So, He knows you, you know you. Let's not get entangled with those things, the things of this world. What really Paul is saying is that there is an expected standard for a Christian. Now don't confuse this with works. This is the way we should be living. It's not something that should be a chore. It's not something that we have to try to do. It's something that we should want to do. You know... One of the things that came out of the baptism yesterday, again, was that we're separated unto the Lord. Not from the world, but unto the Lord. And we're going to talk about these things in a moment. But, you know, when I am out and about and in London and so on, you know, it's not a challenge or a hardship not to go and chat up every pretty lady I see. Why? Well, because I already have a wonderful wife. 
it's not that I consciously have to try not to do those things because I've been separated unto my wife. And it's a, a blessing and a joy and a privilege. And it's such a, an incredible thing to come home every day to a loving wife. I, I haven't lost out on something. I've gained something. And this is what Christianity is really all about. It's, it's giving up those things that, that are no help and no benefit to us. And embracing something that is so much better. Again, this expected standard as a Christian should be seen in all of us. And this morning we've celebrated a dedication. Well, this is an opportunity for us to do a quick health check and rededicate our lives to the Lord. Is he number one? You know, the interesting thing, and we were talking about this in one of our meetings the other day, is that you know, the world often knows better than we do that standard. You know, have you ever been in a situation where somebody says, oh, I, I didn't think you'd do that, you're a Christian, aren't you? And it's kind of like one of those very awkward moments. Now, it's true, the Bible says, Paul says that you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. But, you know, the world often has a much higher standard for us than we sometimes set for ourselves. The moment they find out we're a Christian, they expect something from us, and quite rightly so. Paul says that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. You know, an ambassador representing a foreign country on different on, on foreign soil, a different country on foreign soil, has to be a statesperson. They have to represent the realm. They have to be a good ambassador. Well, that's what we're doing. We're representing our king on foreign soil. And we should represent him well. And our lives should show that there is a difference in us. Paul says, we're going to break this down in a, a bit more in a moment, but flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You're not alone. We're on a journey with others of a like mind. And that's such a blessing that, you know, you've not been called to walk this path on your own. We have the opportunity of fellowshipping with each other. And we should be fellowshipping more as we see the day approaching. I don't know about you, if you've turned on the news recently, I think the day's approaching, don't you? So we should be fellowshipping more. And yes, sometimes it's it's a bit tiring when, you know, we've got two or three nights of the week and we've got meetings and, you know, it'll be so much easier just to, to kick back and sit at home and watch the telly. But you know what? There's never been a meeting that I've gone to that at the end of that meeting I've thought, huh, wish I hadn't come. I mean, truthfully, there are times I think, oh, I don't want to go. But I get halfway through and I am so blessed to be there, so blessed to have that opportunity to fellowship, so glad that the Lord has kind of pulled me back on, on track with him after a day in the world being bombarded by things that are ungodly. The easiest thing in the world is want to just want to switch off and, and not to think. It's called amusement. This world is full of ways to amuse yourself. It's, it's just not thinking. David did a lot of thinking. You read through Psalms, the amount of times he spoke of thinking about the Lord, thinking about the heavens that God had created, thinking about all of God's creation. It's good to think. And sometimes we need things like meetings and other things that pull us on track, that, that give us a, a focus. Trains function much better when they're on tracks. I'm sure you're aware of that. I'm very grateful of that on my daily commute. But you know, as Christians, we also function much better when we're on tracks, when we've got things that keep us locked in. 
And that's why we're told that we should fellowship more as we see the day approaching, because we need to be kept on track. It's so easy to veer off one way or another or let things distract us. But the good thing is that we are on this journey and we have others that can encourage us and that can help us. And sometimes you might go to a meeting and you might be feeling a little bit discouraged, whatever, because of the day. And you may go and you might find somebody who just needs you to encourage them. Other times you may go and you'll find others are there to encourage you. Sometimes you may go in thinking you've had a tough day and you hear what somebody else has been going through. And it's kind of like a reality check and you realize that actually sometimes we make a bit of a fuss about nothing. Notice the first word of this verse, flee. This isn't just a a suggestion that Paul is giving to Timothy. I mean, this is a pastor of a church. This isn't somebody that typically was struggling with temptation or so on. And yet Paul still loves Timothy enough to remind him of some basic things that we all need to be reminded of. You know, just as Joseph did when faced with temptation. I always find that account incredible. You know, nobody would have known. Would it really have mattered in the big scheme of things if Joseph had maybe just spent a little bit of time with Mrs. Potiphar? You know, Mr. Potiphar himself was out and, you know, the servants were all out of the house. No one would have known. And clearly she wasn't going to tell anybody. It wasn't worth it to her. And surely for Joseph, I mean, I don't know, you know, sometimes you get the idea that Mrs. Potiphar looked a little bit like Joan Collins and it's like, no, thank you. But in all honesty, because of the age, age span of people in Egypt, she was probably quite a beautiful young lady. It's probably far more of a temptation than, than you would naturally assume, maybe as you read the, the account. But Joseph doesn't even entertain it. Why? Because of his relationship with God. In fact, he wasn't even that concerned about kind of sinning against Potiphar or anything else. I mean, that was a, an element, but it was his relationship with God that mattered most to him. And so when he's faced with this possible temptation, he just flees, he just runs, he gets out of there. Proverbs 6 verse 5 says, Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. And as a bird from the hand of the fowler. You know, this is what temptation is like. It's looking out for you to trip you up, to bring you down, to ensnare you. It's not presenting you something that is going to be good for you. Of course, the package looks nice. But if you listen closely, it's ticking. It's not what you want to open. Job speaks very candidly and clearly about the lust of the eyes. And he goes on to say that those things can root out all your increase. They can take away everything you've got. And how sad it is, how many ministries, how many people that teach, that have churches, have fallen prey to youthful lusts. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is given to us. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's it. You know, 
How can a young man cleanse his way? Or how can a young man walk in a way that is clean? Simple. Read the Bible. Don't wait till the end of the day when all the temptations and challenges have come. Start the day reading the Bible. I mentioned Psalm 119 already. We studied this as a church a couple of years back now, and all the studies are online. And I've kind of written a, um, a study of this, which I'm going to try and finally get just tidied up and, and, and probably printed out. But there was a period of time a few years ago, and it was in the middle of the summer, and it was, you know, it gets very hot, and you know, anybody commutes and things you'll appreciate. Anybody who's been to London when it's hot will understand. You know, you, the tubes are like saunas; they really are sometimes. But unfortunately, in the world that we live, there's a lot of individuals that don't um, have a sense of propriety uh, when it comes to dress sense. Um, it's probably the best way of putting it. Um, and I was aware sometimes that I'm kind of stuck on trains and, and people are sat right in front of you, around you. Um, and it's not necessarily helpful to look. So I started to just read Psalm 119. I, I started to try and memorize it. And I just took a verse a day. And I committed to memory. And the next day I'll take the next verse and then try and build from there. Now, I confess, I never actually got to the whole end of the Psalms, but I got almost halfway through the whole thing committed to memory. And it got to the point that my journeys were so consumed with thinking about God and his word that I just didn't even think or see other things. That's what we're being told here. Take heed unto God's word. You know, I really encourage you to do that as well. Just, you know, just take Psalm 119. Just take a verse a day. Read a verse every day as you just go through it. There's so many blessings to be had there. It is such an incredible psalm and it's so honest. It's so real. It's not a psalm that is pretending that, you know, everything's wonderful all the time. No, no, no. The, the, the account is one of somebody who's being challenged, going through difficult circumstances, and yet then finds himself in his great oasis where there's great blessing and so on. So we're also told, your word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. The same psalm says the same thing. You hide God's word in your heart, and then when you're faced by temptations, there's already a standard that's set. I'm not sure which commentator it was once, but said that you know so many Christians kind of typically rehearse in their mind what they would do if certain circumstances arise, and then when certain circumstances arise, they've already kind of planned out, and then they automatically go down that path. Well, we need to be thinking godly. We need to be thinking how the Lord would have us be and behave and so on. Notice this, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, love, and peace. These four things that Paul says that we should follow after. We'll come back to the, the following in a moment. But the, the four things. Righteousness. Uh, and looking just in the commentaries, it says, The state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness. The condition acceptable to God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says that you know we, our lives should be a living sacrifice. And it says it's our logical, our reasonable service to do that. It goes on and says this word again in the in the Greek uh, has the idea of integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. That's what this word means. Paul is saying, 
follow those things. Everything that is integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling and acting. And then faith, love and peace, they're all part of the fruit of the Spirit that we're given in the book of Galatians. Again, it's a gift of God. You know, all of this you won't accomplish by trying. You do it by relying on the grace of God. God will put into you that which was not there previously and give you the power to overcome anything the devil throws at you. Remember what we're told, 1 John 4, 4, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Galatians 5, 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's very simple. If you're struggling with the lusts of the flesh, then just walk in the Spirit. Because it's the perfect antidote to that. If you walk in the Spirit, if you focus on the Holy Spirit, if you allow Him to speak to you through the Word of God, through fellowship, through prayer, you're not going to give in to the lusts of the flesh. You know, we're in this tug of war, that passage in Galatians, we were talking about this at our meeting on Thursday evening. You know, there is a tug of war going on for our hearts and for our minds. Our soul, that's who we are. And we get pulled one way and we get pulled the other way. Oh, and the Holy Spirit so wants us to, to come to Him. And yet the world and the world, the world, the flesh, the devil try and pull us the other way. The word follow here, interestingly, is translated persecute 28 times in the New Testament. Follow after six times, follow four times, suffer persecution three times, and then various others another three times. So again, flee also youthful lust, but follow. Okay, suffer. It's not always going to be easy. This is what Paul talks about, about dying to self. But it's also putting to death that old life. It's remembering as... Marla will be able to do now, John will be able to do now, that there was a moment, a point of decision, where we have died to the old life as we represent in baptism, and we've risen to the new life. We've made a choice. We've already nailed our colours to the mast, or better still, nailed our sin to the cross. This word again, follow, the commentary said, uh, to make, to run or flee. To put to flight, to drive away, to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing. I mean, is that, that idea of, you know, chasing after something, intent on getting hold of it. To run after, to press on, figuratively, of one who is in a race, runs swiftly to reach the goal. I have to say, I have to imagine what they would be like running and things. But most of you are going to get the idea here that this is you know, just going for something, not, not letting up, not allowing your eyes and mind to be distracted by anything else, but chasing after, pursuing after righteousness, all those things we just mentioned, and faith and love and peace, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on and says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do Gender strifes. You know, people do get involved in all sorts of silly and pointless debates, particularly within churches. I I find it quite amazing how some people seem to think that only their brand of Christianity is going to be seen in heaven. 
Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that maybe had different ideas, different views. That sang different songs, different styles of worship. Now look, Paul has already made the point that doctrine is essential. Doctrine is so, so important because if you have the wrong doctrine, you can go astray. You can be led into all sorts of errors. Ultimately, it can cost people salvation. I don't mean you can lose your salvation, but people that get caught up in false doctrine may never come to the Lord in the first place. Doctrine is extremely important. We cannot ignore that. But at the same time, and we talked a little bit about this last time, we can't just go around attacking other believers because they're different than we are. And I genuinely believe that God has done different things within the body of Christ. I said at our um, no, it was on Tuesday evening, I had the opportunity to speak to this uh, fellowship up in Milton Keynes. I said that I had the opportunity through work to actually go and uh, meet with Hillsong. And it's interesting, just chatting to the people there, they were genuine, they were sincere. Now, I think, and I'm quite happy to go on record and say this, I think that a lot of the teaching that comes out of Hillsong is very shallow. But I think some of their worship songs have been such a blessing to the Church of Jesus Christ. I think God has used them enormously. Now, on the flip side of that, you've got the likes of ourselves, Calvary Chapel. The focus has been so much on the Word of God, and I praise God so much for it, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I love the fact that we have the freedom to to teach God's Word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the whole of the Bible. It's just, we're not going to get to this this morning, but I want to just show you this, because it's just incredible. I have a, a friend of uh, work who's a believer, Methodist, lay preacher. Some of you may have heard this. The Methodists now have moved toward conducting same-sex marriages. I'm going to read to you that quote at the bottom. The president of the conference, the Reverend Dr. Barbara uh, Glasson, chairs the meeting of the Methodist Conference in Birmingham. That's the picture you saw. Uh, the Methodist Conference has voted overwhelmingly in principle to, mit, to permit the marriage of same-sex couples on Methodist premises by Methodist ministers. The move could prompt opposing, uh, also opposition among Anglican evangelicals uh, to closer ties with the Methodists. On Wednesday, just a week just gone, uh, the Methodist Conference... Uh, which is meeting in Birmingham, voted by 247 votes to 48 to endorse a report, God in Love Unites Us, by the Marriage and Relationships Task Group. It proposes allowing same-sex couples to marry in Methodist churches and provides resources and liturgies to celebrate civil partnerships. Other proposals in the report included prayers for when marriages end in divorce and an understanding of cohabitation. Seriously? Isn't that living in sin? Isn't that what the Bible really kind of explains to us, that these things are not right? There's a way that it should be. A man should leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. Now, once again, we have a real mandate to uphold doctrine. But let's not get caught up with questions and things that just lead to strife. You know, we need to be as individuals, as a body of believers, 
encouraging and, and helping others. And we want to encourage people to get into the Word of God. And if we find other Christians that have not had the opportunity to see things that we've been able to see, well then we need to show love. We need to show the same grace that we've been shown. And look for every opportunity to encourage people to read the Bible. To see just how incredible it really is. And no, we do not tolerate things that are not in accord with the Bible. But let's not get caught up with silly things that just don't help anybody and don't lead anywhere. And then we're told that the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all. There you are. Gentle unto all men. He is apt to teach. This is, there's two, two elements to this. One is we must be teachable. Each one of us must be teachable. I, I find it interesting, over the years of teaching, I've, I've met two different types of people. I've met people that, well, actually, possibly three. But some people that you, you teach and they just go, oh, okay. And you kind of, it's a little bit agitating because you almost want a little bit of, uh, you know, just check and balance here. Some people just accept anything, and that's dangerous. We always encourage you, go back to the scripture, don't take what I say. Always just go and search the scriptures daily, see whether these things are so. But you get another group that, uh, that whatever you say, if they've not heard it before, you must be wrong. Well, that's the problem here, because we're supposed to be teachable. And then you get the middle ground, which is people that search the scriptures daily to see whether those things are so. They receive the word with all readiness, happy to listen, but I'm going to check it about against the Bible. You know, sometimes if people haven't heard something, again, immediately it must be wrong. And that's a dangerous place to be. You know, all of us should be in a place where we are wanting to learn and grow. And if somebody comes and shows you something from Scripture that you've not seen before, rejoice. I read something on the train on the way up to Milton Keynes as I was preparing for that study. And I'd never seen it before. Now, if somebody came and said to me, I I hope I wouldn't have just gone, oh, no, you must be wrong, because I'd never read it. But I'll share it with you, because I just thought it was quite fascinating. Antichrist, in the book of Revelation, is, we're told, consumed by the brightness of Jesus' coming. When Jesus returns, he's killed. And yet a few verses later, he's thrown alive into the lake of fire. And I was reading Arnold Fruchtenbaum's commentary, and Arnold Fruchtenbaum said, so he must be resurrected. I thought, that's interesting. I'd never seen that before. And he said that he will be, just as Jesus is a first fruits of all those who are raised to eternal life, Antichrist will be a first fruits of all those who are raised to eternal death. I thought, that's interesting. I never thought about that before. And it just got me thinking. And, and I went to Scripture and I looked at it. I thought, yeah, I think he's absolutely right. But, you know, we've got to be teachable. We've got to have a teachable spirit. At the same time, there's an element for all of us that we should also be willing and able to teach others. I mean, it's only really an extension of what Paul has already said. That the things that we have heard, the things that we've learned, we should pass on to faithful men. So often pride is the barrier in all of these things. Those unlearned questions, the things that people say and debate over pointless things. When people don't want to learn, normally it's just pride. And then we're told that in meekness, I love this, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Notice how we are to go about this work. Not with great strength, with all might and with all power, but in meekness, instructing those who oppose. 
you know, there is the danger, and I think all of us can fall into this, that we want to win the argument. This week I've been having a, a debate uh, with a chap at work um, who's decided he wants to be an atheist. Um, so I've been having a little bit of fun. It's kind of like, you know, um, when, when you have a kitten and you keep throwing a little ball and kind of pulling it and things. And the kitten, you know, It's just been so much fun because he keeps coming up with ideas and I keep throwing it back at him. And I got to the point that I thought, actually, all I'm doing is just tearing him down. So I just stopped and I just started preaching the gospel to him. I just keep saying, you know, Jesus loves you. And he didn't like that at all. I said, I really think that Jesus wants you to know him. I said, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. I don't believe in any of that. I said, yeah, I know you don't. And I've already given him a whole load of the, you know, showed him how stupid evolution is. We've gone down that road and things like that, you know. And the incredible thing was, the day that I made that decision, now I'm just going to preach the gospel, just to tell him about Jesus. He went home that evening, and he hadn't seen his sister for a few weeks. His sister walked in the house <laughs> carrying a Bible. This is praise God, because he came back the next morning and he shared this with me. He said, you know, I, I just straight away thought, oh, God's after me. <laughs> I said, yeah, he is. Just wonderful, just the way God works. But, you know, isn't that what we're told in, in, in Scripture, Paul says? You know, it's just the, the, the foolishness of preaching that will save the lost. You see, in meekness instructing, you know, again, a, a servant's purpose, a disciple's purpose is not... To win arguments, but to win souls. And you know what? We can win pretty much every argument. People that say there is no God, it's quite easy to shoot that down. People that, that have all sorts of issues and questions, people that try and argue for evolution, you know, if you know enough, you can destroy those arguments. But actually, what have you done in doing that? I'm not saying there's not a place for apologetics and things. There is. I think it's very helpful. It can be very useful in conversations with people. People need to see that you have a credible basis for your faith. And the whole basis in the New Testament, when we look at everything, this chap said to me about, I said, what kind of evidence would you accept? And he said, well, if I saw something with my own eyes, I said, well, great, because the New Testament is based on eyewitness accounts. Everything we read in the New Testament is eyewitness reports. They looked for a replacement for Judas who had to be an eyewitness of everything that Jesus had done and of the resurrection. You don't get better than that. Now we've got, we can win the arguments, but it's not about winning the arguments. Again, we should be in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Notice that comes from God. If God will give them repentance. Okay, it's a gift that comes from the Lord. Through the Holy Spirit, that's why the Holy Spirit came, to bring conviction of sin. And we, through prayer, can bring those things about. And they that may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. The devil has taken captive so many people, but you know, we can claim we can win so many of them back. And we need to keep praying for our unsaved loved ones. We need to keep praying for those that we have opportunity to witness to and minister to. Jeff's got a, a, some more people that we're going to add to the um, prayer email. And, and if you've got anybody, any names that we get on there, it doesn't matter how long the list is. You know, the, it, we've said recently that that prayer email has been getting longer and longer and longer. And I think it's simply the Lord is saying, great, you're praying, I'll give you more to pray for. You know, it, and it's a good thing. You know, if we're spending more time in prayer, then that's good for our own health, good for our own spiritual life. And God will use us in the work that he's doing. Now, a lot of people have been taken captive. Just a quick review of these things. 
these seven aspects of ministry that we've just gone through in this chapter. Firstly, be strong and being strong in the grace of God. Being a worthy workman, we're told. Being faithful, enduring all things. It's not always going to go the way we think it's going to go or that we maybe expect it or like it to go. But it's being faithful because God is faithful. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can endure. Study to rightly divide the word of God. And we need to continually be reading. We need to be students of the Bible. Again, avoid vain babblings. We've been told we should seal and cleanse this vessel of honor. The Lord wants to use us as vessels for his purpose. But we need to be cleansed in order for him to do that. And that last one was fleeing youthful lusts. You know, and it's good to get these things sorted when we are young. But for some people who have come to the Lord later, well, you're still young in Christ. But we need to get those things sorted out. We need to learn to go back to that first point. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because that grace is sufficient to give you the power over all the power of the enemy. Let's bow our hearts. Father God, we just thank you for this time this morning. We just pray, Lord, you impress these things upon our hearts. Lord, we thank you that we've had this time of dedication for Sharia. And Lord, we do pray that you richly bless her and watch over her every day as she grows. Father, we do pray for our own lives also. That we would rededicate our lives to you. That Lord, we would have just been reminded through these scriptures of all that you've done for us. And how important it is that we live for you. That we walk by your spirit. Not gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. That we sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. Lord, help us to walk in the way. Lord, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, not to give in to compromise. Not to give in to this world. Knowing that, Lord, you will give us the grace to live our lives for you. Father, just impress these things upon our hearts. And help us to be ambassadors, disciples for you being like our master, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.